I'm Chad Roberts, and I want to welcome you to Awaken to Grace. Today we are in part two of a sermon called Confidence in Christ. We are going through the entire book of Hebrews, and friends, this is the point of the book, is that our confidence cannot be in ourselves. Our confidence cannot be in our good works or our good morality or intentions. Our confidence cannot be in religion. No, our confidence must be in the work of Jesus Christ. And these scriptures beautifully explain it. These scriptures teach us what it is to gain our own confidence in Christ and our own salvation. Well, friends, I hope today speaks to you. If it does, let me know. You can always email me, Roberts at gmail.com. Isn't that a simple email address? It's just my name, Roberts at gmail. And you know what? Even though I'm a blind pastor, even though I am 100% blind, I get all of your emails. And when listeners take a moment and they tell me, what God's doing in their life. They tell me where they're from, and they tell me how I can pray for them. Well, I can't tell you how much it means to me personally. I'd love to hear from you today. Pastor Chad Roberts at gmail.com. Well, let's get to it today. Hebrews chapter 4, Confidence in Christ, part 2, on today's edition of Awaken to Grace. Whatever weakness you have today, whatever temptation you face today, whatever trouble you face today, whatever trial or testing you face today, whatever questions you have today, let me tell you, you can take it directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you and I lived in Israel in this day that Hebrews was written, you and I would have had no access to the high priest. We may have been able to see a Levitical priest if we paid the temple money or brought the right animal. We may have had a smidge of access to a lower level priest, but you and I could have never had the one-on-one attention of the high priest. And yet, you and I, right now today, can pray at any moment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it in these terms. If I called today, Eastman is a large corporation here. If I called Eastman on Monday morning and said, I would like to speak to the CEO, do you think they would say, Okay, Mr. Roberts, I'll transfer you. Do you think I could speak to him? No. What if I called our power company and I said, I would like to speak to the CEO of AEP? Do you think they would say, hold, Mr. Roberts, and we'll transfer your call? And those are mere mortals with very clay feet. But yet the King of Kings and the Lord 
of lords you have a personal audience with at any moment. Then why do we pray so little? Why is he so often the last one we go to rather than the first person we go to? Well, we might feel in our hearts like he wouldn't understand or like he would get angry at us or he wouldn't accept us. But no, no, what's the scripture say? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. What a thing that we can take anything to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what it says next. And this is very interesting to me. But was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. Now, what does that mean that he was tempted in every respect? I want to handle the scriptures very carefully right now. As a matter of fact, let's just pray as we go into this section. Lord, give us discernment and give us ears to hear and help us to handle truth rightly. Help us in this section, Lord, that we not misstep. Shape our view. Shape our perspective with your word. Show us what the Holy Spirit intends that we would walk away with greater confidence in Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to answer the question. Did Jesus ever think about sexual sins? Was he ever tempted by thoughts of homosexuality or adultery? Did Jesus ever have to resist the temptation of lying? I'll confess to you that I believe that my view of Christ and his sinlessness was quite faulty. Several years ago, I preached a sermon series on the temptation of Christ in the wilderness out of Matthew chapter 4. And I called that series, Lies We Believe. You can go back on the Awakened to Grace app and listen to that. Lies We Believe. And I was shocked what I learned in that series in the preparation of it. Prior to that series, I think that I always saw Christ and any temptation to sin as a 50-50 chance, would Christ hold the line? Would Christ pass or would he fail? Would he be the champion or would Satan be the champion? And who would win the battle? My view changed when I studied for that series. When Christ entered the wilderness led by the Spirit of God and Satan tempted him three times, I am of the persuasion it was not to see if Christ would pass or fail. It was not to see if Christ would hold on to victory or not. That was never in question. Christ went through that experience to teach us how to deal with the devil. 
Christ went through that experience to teach us how to handle temptation. He went through that to teach us that Christ will always hold when it comes to sin and Satan. It's not a question of will he pass or fail. He always leads us in triumphal procession and victory. So my perspective changed. My perspective grew of Christ. But let me tell you what I've learned out of this text. Could Jesus had struggled with internal sins? I believe the biblical answer is emphatically no. And let me explain why. Who was Jesus? He not only was flesh and humanity, he was the holy and the divine son of God. He was not a created angel as Lucifer was and Lucifer fell in sin because he was a created being. Christ is not created in the sense that Adam and Eve were in which they fell into sin. Christ is not created. He is God. James chapter 1 teaches that we, in our humanity, that we are lured away. We are enticed by what? Our internal desires. Friends, Christ did not have those enticements. Do you know why? Because he did not have Joseph's blood in him. The Holy Spirit conceived him. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. That's why he was virgin born. Because he was not tainted. He was not corrupted by the seed of Adam. Therefore, I do not believe that he had the internal enticements that you and I have as being sons and daughters of Adam. This is why I believe the Holy Spirit is so emphatic when he says he was tempted in every point or in every respect as we are. Yes, he faced the temptations, but why did he not yield? Because he is the son of God. Internal, he did not have the enticements. That's why I believe the Holy Spirit is so emphatic, yet without sin. Do you know why you cannot go to a priest today and have salvation within a priest. Do you know why? Because, friends, they're sinners just like you. But do you know why there's salvation in only one name today? And do you know why in that name is our great high priest? Is because he was completely sinless when he walked this earth. And he is the only man, the only flesh... He is the only human who has ever lived a perfect and sinless life. And how did he do it? 
because he is the very son of God. When you contemplate that, do you see how beautiful the language is? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Hold fast your confession. What scriptures? He was tempted in every point, in every respect as we are. Oh, he understands temptation. Don't ever let Satan tell you he doesn't understand. He most certainly understands. But why is he the only one who can lead us in our salvation? Because he's the only one who ever truly overcame it to its fullest degree. And how did he do it? Because he is the son of God. So what does that mean? When I bring my sin to Jesus, when I bring my failures to Jesus, when I bring my past to Jesus, when I bring my present difficulties to Jesus, when I bring my weaknesses to Jesus, I'm not going to someone who may be 50-50 pastor failed. I'm not going to someone who maybe 50-50 could overcome Satan or maybe not. I am going to the very Son of God who is clothed in flesh, who understands me better than I understand myself and has the power, has the ability to completely and utterly conquer and overthrow sin. And that's why he can help me. What a thought. Yet he was without sin. Not because maybe he would or maybe he wouldn't, but because he was in his nature the deity of God Almighty. Friends, it was... See, let me say it this way and I'll move on. I always saw it as either Christ would win or Satan would win. Friend, it was never even a game. It was never even a competition. Amen? Amen. Victory was always Christ. Always. And that's why if you're trying to do this life alone without Him, if you're trying to answer your questions apart from Him, if you're trying to walk out your faith without His power and without His head, friends, you're doing it wrong. You have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. Oh, friends, take full advantage of that. Amen? Now, lastly, verse 16. Let me explain this. Is this helping anyone today? Verse 16. Okay, so here's the conclusion. So then, I like the conclusion. That's why I think Paul wrote this. Paul was great with conclusions. He would give doctrine, then he'd give application. Doctrine and application. Doctrine and application. And now, here is the grand conclusion. So then, what are you and I to do? What are these Hebrews wanting to do? They're wanting to slip back into Judaism. They're wanting to drift back into their old lifestyle. They're wanting to go to something they can see, something that is visible, something that is tangible, something they can touch. 
And here they're putting their eternal future, they're putting their soul, they're staking everything that Christ is who he says he is. But they're watching everybody else go to temple. What a struggle it must have been for them. And so the writer says, so then here's what we are to do. You cannot go into the Holy of Holies. You cannot go into the mercy seat. You cannot approach God in that way. But because we now have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who sympathizes with our weaknesses, who was tempted in every respect that we're tempted, but yet he conquered and he overcame and he never yielded and he was without sin. Why? Because he's Jesus, the son of God. Here's why your confession matters. Because we have confidence in who Christ is. So then, here's the conclusion. Let us draw near. Oh, oh can I just enjoy this for a moment? Friday night, I had the biggest T-bone steak I have ever had in my entire existence. And I just savored it. Oh, it was so good. Can I just take this T-bone of verse 16 right here and let me just savor it for a moment? Draw near. You might want to write this down. This is the first of seven times we see draw near in the book of Hebrews. And it's an extraordinary thought. Why? Because the veil separated us and God. Because the holy of holies, was, it was restricted to one man, one time per year. And now the Holy Spirit in the most masterful way is going to say, you want to go back to Judaism? You want to go back to religion? You want to go back to a man's system? No, Christ is better than any prophet. Christ is better than any angel. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than Joshua. And now Christ is better than any Aaron or Melchizedek or any high priest. Why? Because we can draw near. What an extraordinary thought. First of seven times in the book of Hebrews. And it means a continual coming. That's what I love about the word. It's not a one-time pass. It's perpetual. It is uh, one, one idea, and, and you should note this, the idea is carried as in forming a habit. Oh, I like that. You know how I am with mornings with God, right? Oh, I love that habit of drawing near. Do you draw near to the Lord? Do you commune with Him? Do you abide in Him? Do you fellowship? With him, draw near. How extraordinary. And you don't have to have a priest. And you don't have to have a pastor. You don't have to have. No, you, you can 
draw near to God. Let us, see the pronouns again? Draw near, but how? Two words right there. Boldness and confidence. Now, what's that mean? Does that mean that we are to willy-nilly just, you know, flippantly come into God's presence? Boldness does not have anything to do with a flippant attitude. As a matter of fact, what the, what the word actually means is a frankness in conversation. Think about that. You know what that means? That means I can tell God anything that's in my heart. I can tell God anything about my day. I can tell God about any of my fears. I can tell him about any of my shortcomings. I can tell God about what frustrates me. I can tell God about what angers me. I can tell God about what I'm jealous about. There is not one thing, or say it this way, there's not one weakness that I cannot bring to God. Why? Because he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Let us draw near with confidence. Oh, I love that word. And I want you to link this. Do you remember back in chapter three, this is what we linked. There was a profession, which meant confession, that was outwardly of the mouth. But then later on in the chapter, there is a confession that is inward of the heart. And I called that the progression of our faith. What begins as an outward profession, what begins as an outward expression or confession, then grows into a deep inward confidence of God. That's what the word is here. Let us hold fast our confession of verse 14. Why? Because what is that confession? It is an outward profession of an inward confidence. And what is our confidence in? It's not in ourselves. Now say amen if you're with me right now. Amen. It's not in our good works. It's not in our intentions. It's not in our morality. And listen, it's most certainly not in our religion. It's not in our church attendance. It's not in grandma's faith or mom and dad's faith. No, our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because he's the great high priest. Because he passed through the heavens. Because he is Jesus, the Son of God. That's why our confidence is in Christ. And then lastly, look what he says. Let me break this down for a few more moments. Isn't this just like going to a buffet? Whew, I'm full. Let, let me break this down for you and then I'll, I'll conclude. That we may receive, now that's good, that we may receive what? Mercy. Oh, now remember, what was the mercy seat? That was the throne of God in Old Testament times. 
But do you know what is different about the new covenant? Now, there's mercy to be had that we may receive what? Mercy. But what are we to draw near to? Not a mercy seat, but a what? Throne of grace. Have you visited my online store where you can find books, music, sermon series, and so much more? I hope you'll go there today, awakentograce.com slash store, and keep checking back because our resources that are designed for spiritual growth are always growing. awakentograce.com slash store.